Next week, we'll begin to take up our Lottie Moon Christmas offering, and it goes to support missionaries like the Graham family that are serving all across this world to reach individuals with the gospel message. And one way that we can continue to support our missionaries is to spend times in concentrated prayer for them and their families, but also to give sacrificially out of an overflow of what God has blessed us with so that we can bless individuals like the Grahams that are serving in places that we may not even be aware of uh, and serving a group of people that we may not even know uh, exist. I also believe that in this room, there are individuals that God is is calling to the mission field. Uh, And I would just ask that you begin to truly pray as to what it is that God is calling you to. Maybe it's overseas missions. Maybe it's local missions. Whatever the case may be, I pray that you would be obedient to what it is that God is calling you to. In fact, today in our text, what we are going to see is we are going to see that uh, played out uh, as Joshua challenges the people of God uh, to respond in service to the one who has called them, redeemed them, saved them, and, and blessed them. Uh, with the promises of God that they saw fulfilled in their own lifetime. And so this morning, as we continue in our uh, Advent series, uh, Christmas Trees, where we are looking at the meta-narrative or the the biblical theology of the great theme of the Bible. So uh, we have systematic theology, which talks about uh, key doctrines and how the Bible speaks topically into those key doctrines all throughout scripture. And then we have biblical theology, which takes all of those pieces and say, how does it all fit? How does the Bible itself all fit together? Is it just a bunch of random books that are thrown in in together? Or is there a seamless story that runs throughout the course of the 66 books of scripture? And it is obvious from Genesis to Revelation that this is written by one author, the Holy Spirit, who uses 40 different human authors on three different continents over thousands of years span time to write these biblical events that have transpired. And one of those key themes that we find throughout Scripture, this meta narrative, is marked by a trail of trees that begins in the Garden of Eden with the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then in the shadows of the fall of man, in the shadow of the tree of that which they ate from when they were commanded not to, there is a story of redemption. Hope is given to us in Genesis chapter 3, the the proto-evangelum of that there's a Savior that is going to come and crush the head of the serpent. And at key moments, we see these key activities of God's redemption marked with a tree somewhere in the background or a product of a tree somewhere in, in the background. All the way up till we get to Revelation, the concluding pages of Scripture, we see once again the tree of life. And the fact that only those that have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ are there to see it with their own eyes and to taste it with their own lips. But as we look at this meta narrative, as we look at scripture and the overarching story of God's redemptive plan, this Christmas season, I'm often reminded of just how much Christmas exposes the idols in our life. That when we get to this point of this celebration, 
oftentimes these trees that we erect within our homes really expose the thrones that we have erected upon our hearts in our life and what sits upon it. Whether it's material possessions, whether it's, it's status and power that those things uh, provide for us, uh, whether it is some works that we have to do so we make sure to, to, to put things into the, the red bucket while the individuals are jingling the bell, not because we want to serve, but because we want to earn more favor with God. Typically, the, the idol that is most exposed this time of year is the idol of self. That what we set aside to celebrate putting our focus solely upon God Almighty who loved us so much that he would take on flesh and come willingly to die for the sins of humanity upon a cross, oftentimes it is a time where we are more focused in on ourselves than, than anything else. And what God wants to do is he wants to peel that back this morning. He wants us to be real and open and honest about who sits upon the throne of our heart. And is it Jesus? Because if it's not Jesus, you won't, you won't find any peace. And that's why this time of year seems to be so stressful and filled with more anxiety than other times of the year. Because this moment where God wants to strip all that away and put our focus squarely and solely on Jesus. Oftentimes our focus is on anything but and we don't experience the peace that the Prince of Peace came to give us. I pray that this Christmas season would be one that is marked by peace. And so last week, if we saw that the, the plan of redemption brings hope to our lives, then I pray today we would see that the promises that are found within the Redeemer bring peace to our lives. Meaning that peace is not to be found in a place you arrive at or a position you obtain to, but a person you trust in, and that person is Christ. See, oftentimes in our lives, we think if we can just get to this place in our lives, if we can just get that promotion, if we could just get this much money in the bank account, if we could just get this person to, to do what it is that we want this person to do, if we could just get over this, this hump of ourselves and we could fulfill that, that, that uh, New Year's resolution that, that we have put before us, if we can just get to that place, then we'll have peace. And if you're like me, oftentimes when we try to get to those places and we arrive in those places, there's no peace to be found there. Because peace isn't a place that you arrive at. It's not a position you obtain to. It is a person that you trust in. You see, all of those places can be taken away. You could lose your job. You could lose your health. You can lose your, 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 your family. You can lose all of these various things. You can lose all of your material possessions. But one thing that you cannot lose is the love of Jesus. You can't lose him because he will never leave us nor forsake us. And so sometimes this Christmas season, Christ exposes those things in our lives so that we will deal with them. And I pray that the Lord does just that here today. So if you would, open your Bibles with me to Joshua chapter 24. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 33 in a message entitled, The Tree of the Witness Stone. The Tree of the Witness Stone. Now, before we unpack our text and, and see the, the meta narrative and we pick back up in the story of where we left off and we bridge the gap between this text and the text of Genesis 3 we looked at last week. 
let me just address that. Even the, the Christmas tree itself and a brief history of the Christmas tree itself and how that will tie into to our text today. So the, the, the way that we celebrate Christmas today is, is not something that was really popular within the United States until uh, sometime around the 18th century. It's Germanic in nature, the Christmas tree itself uh, is Germanic in, in, in nature. Uh, so uh, there was a, uh, uh, an evangelist to the German area, uh, an early church father by the name of Boniface. And Boniface had heard that this small town in what is uh, modern-day Germany, uh, that they worshipped th- this tree. This tree was called the Thunder Oak, and it's where they worshipped the, the god Thor, the, the Norse god Thor, just like in, in, in the Marvel Avengers. And what they would do is every winter solstice, they would sacrifice a child at the bottom of this tree. They would take a child and they would sacrifice the child to to this false god. And Boniface heard about this. And Boniface goes and uh, he starts to chop down this tree. And these villagers come out and they're they're freaking out like, you're cutting down our our holy tree. But they're sitting in amazement because Thor's not doing anything. No hammers are coming down, no nothing. And he gets the, the, the tree somewhat chopped on one side, and all of a sudden, this large gust of wind comes and knocks this tree down. And all of the individuals see this, and they see that this false god doesn't do anything to Boniface and the other individuals that are with them. So they listen to the proclamation of the gospel, and they repent, and they believe. And right to the side of where this large tree failed was a, a small evergreen spruce, just, a, just a, a small little tree. And he pointed to that and he showed them that this is a reflection uh, of Jesus. That out of death comes new life and that the tree is pointing upwards to, to heaven. And he said, I don't want you to, to worship the, the, this God uh, out in the wild woods. I, I want you to do it in your homes because he will give shelter and provision uh, for, for you. And he shared the gospel message and he stayed in that area and shared and discipled with those individuals. And so that grew all throughout Germany. And then in the 16th century, the reformer Martin Luther was walking home one evening, and he saw this beautiful picture of these green trees, these evergreen trees with a black clear night that was filled with stars. And it moved him in such a way that he wanted to capture that so that his children could see the handiwork of God Almighty all the time. So what he did is he cut down a tree and he brought it into the house and he wired candles onto the tree and lit them so that it would give off the the illusion of stars within the sky and, and the tree. And that is what was imported uh, from German immigrants into America. But it does have pagan origins. This idea does have pagan origins. Maybe you hear some individuals say, we we don't want to have a Christmas tree in our house because uh, it originated with with pagans. And, And it's true. It did. Many individuals, before they placed their faith and trust in in Jesus Christ, before, before Christ came, before Christ was ever even born, Many individuals within the polytheistic uh, pantheon of gods that they worship all worshiped one of the main deities of the sun god, especially the Egyptians. They worshiped a false god named Ra. 
Now, what they believed is during the winter months, the sun god would get sick. And on the winter solstice, the longest night of the year was when he started to get better. That would be the last day of his sickness, and that sun god would start to get well. And so what they would do is they would bring evergreen boffs into their house. The Egyptians, they would bring in green palms and papyrus reeds as a symbol that their god was getting healthy again. Now, it is pagan in origin, but when we bring Christmas trees into our house, it's not an adoption of pagan. It is a correction of pagan idolatry. It's not an adoption of it. It's a correction of it. How many of you know in this room today that Jesus redeems all things? He redeems all things. Listen, these tattoos that I've got all over my my, my body, they were pagan in origin. But God has redeemed every aspect of my life. And now when individuals see what was pagan in origin, I'm able to give a testimony of the grace and the goodness of God that says nobody is too far gone. There is nobody that is outside of the saving grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And when we set up those trees, even though they may be pagan in origin, it is a declaration that Jesus Christ came to give us everlasting life. He is the light of the world. And he points us to heaven because he's the way the truth and the life. He redeems all things. Our God doesn't get sick. Our God doesn't faint or grow weary. Isaiah 40, 28 says, have you not known, have you not heard the Lord, the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth? He's not like Ra. He's not like the sun God. He does not faint or grow weary. He doesn't get sick. He is perfect in absolutely every way. Always has been, always will be, always is, and always will. That is who it is that we serve. And as we pick up in the story of God's word, we have seen that man has rebelled against God. They were kicked out of the garden. And then evil started to propagate more and more through humanity to the point that God said, I'm going to bring a judgment upon this earth. And he called one man named Noah to build an ark out of trees that would be the salvation of him and his family and all those that would enter through the door. There were eight that went in. Eight came out. It's a picture of the fact that you can't lose your salvation. Once you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you are sealed. Once the the door of grace shuts, you are sealed by God Almighty. And then once the flood waters receded, a dove brought an olive branch to Noah to indicate that he could leave the the ark. Now, where we're going to pick up in the story is going to walk us through what transpired after the flood and the calling of a man named Abraham all the way to the point where we find Joshua that is giving a covenant renewal ceremony that the structure is based a lot off the Hittite uh, overlord suzerainty treaty, which says, listen, I'm king, you are to be the vassals, and here's the agreement of, uh, between us that you are going to serve me as your king. And Joshua will structure chapter 24 based upon that, that, that treaty in this covenant renewal ceremony. And so we see in verse 24 in uh, chapter, or chapter 24, verses 1 through 5, we see a story of the progression of God's redemptive plan from a man named Abraham uh, to captivity and release from Egypt. God's word says this, Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem. 
and summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham, and Nahor, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. And I gave him Isaac. Uh, Isaac, remember, carried the, 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 the tree or the cross up uh, the mountain to be sacrificed, but the, the ram was caught in the thicket. And to Isaac, I gave Jacob and Esau, Jacob and, and the ladder that was uh, ascending in the place called Luz, which is short or is translated almond trees, and Esau. And I gave Esau the hill country of Seir to possess, but Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. And I sent Moses and Aaron. Moses had the, the, the rod of God, the staff of God that he used in all of those miracles. And I plagued Egypt. Uh, with what I did in the midst of it, and afterward, I brought you out. Now, remember in the Exodus story, a lamb was sacrificed, and they painted the blood of the lamb on the doorpost and the lintel of their homes. Do you remember what they used to paint the doorpost of, uh, of their homes? A hyssop branch. They used a branch. Now, that's important because next week, we're going to see that this picture of a branch is, is a, a theme that is used all throughout Scripture about redemption. And that one of the key words that the prophets used of the Messiah was that he would be the branch, that he is the branch. And we'll look at that next week. Verse 6, then I brought your fathers out of Egypt. So a man named Abraham was called. And we see that through this patriarch uh, system, uh, through his sons, all the way down to this man named Moses, we see that the, uh, the Israelites are led out of Egyptian captivity. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued your fathers and chariots and the horsemen to the Red Sea. And when they cried to the Lord, uh, and, and then Moses raises up his staff, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and made the sea come upon them and cover them, and your eyes saw what I did in Egypt. Now, this is huge, right? Uh, and this is just a side note. When the Pharaoh is swept away in the waters... Uh, all the plagues were uh, an affront to the false gods of the Egyptians. But the Pharaoh was held as a god himself. And what they would do is they would take the body of the dead Pharaohs and they would embalm them so they could go on to, to the next life. God says, listen, there's not even going to be a body. Think of uh, how much this would uh, impact the Egyptians, that the Pharaoh's body wasn't ever even found. It was washed away. They didn't have a body to embalm, to send on to the next life, because God is saying to them through this demonstration that, that, that there is no next life for him. He's going to be separated from me for all of eternity. You can't even embalm it. This is showing the power of God Almighty, that there wasn't even a body of Pharaoh to recover. He says that, and when they cried to the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and made the sea come upon and upon them and covered them. And your eyes saw what I did in Egypt, and you lived in the wilderness a long time. Then I brought you to the land of the Amorites who lived on the other side of the Jordan. They fought with you, and I gave them into your hand, and you took possession of their land, and I destroyed them before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, well, that's a good one. You're looking for a biblical name. There it is. 
king of Moab, arose and fought against Israel, and he sent and invited Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam. Indeed, he blessed you, so I delivered you out of his hand, and you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho, and the leaders of Jericho fought against you, and also the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, the Pepsilites, and I gave... (laughs) And I gave them into your hand, and I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out before you, the two kings of the Amorites. It was not by your sword or by your bow. I gave you a land on which you had not labored and cities that you had not built, and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. Verse 14, now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as far as me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods, for it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery and who did those great signs in, your, in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. But Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins if you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods. Then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, no, but we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said to the people, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. He said, then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, the Lord, our God, we will serve and his voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and put in place statutes and rules for them at Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God. And he took a large stone and set it up under the terebinth that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. So he set it up underneath this tree. And Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness against us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord that he spoke to us. Therefore, it shall be a witness against you, lest you deal falsely with your God. So Joshua sent the people away, every man to his inheritance. So we see that after the fall of man, we see that evil was propagated to the point that God brought judgment. And then out of the repopulation of the earth, he chose one man, Abraham, to be a father of many nations. And we see the story of Abraham all the way to Egyptian captivity. The exodus that transpires where they are released from Egyptian captivity. They're wandering in the wilderness because of their failure to trust God Almighty and his promises of a promised land. When the 12 spies went into the land, 10 came back with a bad report. Two came back with a good report, Joshua and Caleb. They were the only individuals that at that point in time that were alive that got to enter into the promised land because they they trusted in the promises of God Almighty. And so in the wilderness wanderings, now they've crossed the Jordan River. 
They, they have entered into the promised land. Many scholars believe this is about 25 years after they've entered into the promised land. This is Joshua's kind of farewell ceremony. And the thing that he wants to leave and impress upon their hearts is don't forget God. I'm already starting to see that you're starting to take some of the things of the culture around you, some of these false gods that you are starting to bring into your hearts and into your lives. And he says, I want you to serve God Almighty, put away or destroy all all of these foreign gods, because they will not bring you peace. They will not bring you peace. And listen, the very same thing that the Israelites struggled with over and over and over with uh, under the old covenant are the same thing that we struggle with over and over and over with in the new covenant. And that is setting something or somebody in the position that is rightfully due our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We allow something or someone to sit upon the throne of our hearts as opposed to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And what he wants to do is he wants to bring them back to a covenant renewal. And it is strategic in where he is doing this covenant renewal at. So notice in chapter 24, verse 26, it says that Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God, and he took a large stone and set it up there under the terebinth that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. In verse 25, it says that they are in Shechem. Now, in Genesis 12, 6 through 7, we read where God is calling to Abraham and telling him that he is going to make him a, a, a mighty nation. He's going to make a mighty nation out of him. So, so look with me. The text is on the screen. Genesis 12, 6 through 7. Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. So he leaves his homeland and he goes to a place that he knows not. And when he enters into this land, the promised land, God comes to him underneath this, at this tree. And he says, I'm going to give you this land. I'm going to give you all of this land. Now, you fast forward to the time of Jacob, and in Genesis 35, 1 through 4, Jacob has just encountered Esau, and he's going to go back to where uh, he experienced the angels descending upon a ladder between heaven and earth. And he's going to go back there, and he's going to create and build an altar there at Bethel. But before he does, look what happens. God said to Jacob, arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there. Make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, put away the foreign gods that are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel so that I may make there an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods that they had and the rings that were in their ears. Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree that was near Shechem. So two great events have happened long before Joshua brings God's people to say, you need to choose today. Who are you going to serve? The God of your, your fathers on the other side of the Jordan? The gods of those that are falsely worshiping in the land that you're in right now, or are you going to serve the, the living and true God? Because this land was promised to you by God, to Abraham. It was promised to him. And this many hundreds of years later, that promise is being fulfilled. 
And this is the same tree that Jacob had his family bring them all of their false idols and he buried there at this tree. So put away all the false idols that are among you and serve the God who fulfills every one of his promises that you are inheriting right now as you live and function within this promised land. So what we see in this text and what I pray that you see is the sovereignty of God, that God is in control. Listen, God is in control. As much as we don't feel like that is a reality, God is in control. Look at verse Look at chapter 24, verses 1 through 13. 18 times, God is going to say, I have done something. It was me that has done it. I took your father Abraham. I gave him Isaac. I gave Jacob and Esau. I gave Esau the hill country. I sent Moses and Aaron. I plagued Egypt. I did it in the midst of you. I brought you out. I brought your fathers out. I did this in Egypt. I brought you to the land of the Amorites. I gave them their land. I destroyed them. I would not listen to Balaam. I delivered you. I gave them into into your hand. I sent the hornet before you. I gave you a land. All of these things, God is getting them to understand, I'm in control. I'm doing this. I'm the one that is working on your behalf to the point that in verse 23 of chapter 24, uh, he says, then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your, your, your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel, because I'm the one that has done all this for you. These false gods have not done this for you. In fact, we, we read in chapter 23 in verse 5, the Lord your God will push them back before you and drive them out of your sight and you shall possess their land just as the Lord your God promised you. In verse 14, or in verse 9, it says, For the Lord has driven out before you the great and strong nations. And as for you, no man has been able to stand before you to this day because God has done that on our behalf. Listen, God is in control. No matter how out of control your life may seem right now, God is in control. He is in control. Verse 12 of chapter 24 tells us, but as for me, excuse me, uh, in verse 12 of 24 says, it was not by your sword or by your bow that we inherited this land. It was solely by the grace of God. Of God Almighty. Listen, if you're taking notes, write this down, but not just on a piece of paper. Write it down and seal it in your heart. His plan won't fail. His plan will not fail. From Abraham all the way to Moses, from Moses to Joshua, from Joshua to David, from David to all the kings and the priests and throughout the exiles that transpired, God's plan of sending a redeemer did not fail. It won't fail. It can't fail. His plan is secured to the point that in Galatians 4, 4 through 5, we read, but when the fullness of time or the perfect time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. His plan will not fail. And this God incarnate, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, called apostles to himself. And the church was birthed on the day of Pentecost 
to the point that God's plan of sending his message throughout the known world culminates one day into what it is we prayed earlier where every tongue, tribe, and nation has representatives around the throne of God in heaven praising and giving glory to the one who saved them through the redeeming work of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Listen, you sitting in here today is not by happen chance or by mistake. It is a part of God's plan that you sit in here today. It's not random that you live at this point in time in history in this area around the people you live around, working at the place that you work at. That is a part of God's sovereign plan so that we can be the light unto the nations. No matter how out of control it seems, know that God is in control and his plan will not fail. It's just our perspective is finite. Think about Abraham. Remember when, when God came to him and said, I want you to look up at the stars, and you're going to be, your, your, your progeny is going to be as numerous as the stars. And he said, man, I don't even got a grandkid. How's this going to work? From his perspective, God's plan was failing. And there are oftentimes we can start to look at the circumstances and the situation and think, God's plan is failing in my life. No, it's not. You just have a finite perspective. God has an infinite perspective. Our unknown is God's known. We can trust in the promises that he has given to us, that he won't leave us or forsake us, that those who call upon his name will be saved, that eternal life is given to all those that place their faith and trust in Jesus. That ought to bring us peace. The fact that his plan won't fail, the fact that that he is omniscient and knows all things ought to bring us peace. Thirdly, he uses people that are flawed. I don't know how to bring us peace because I'm a flawed person. Look at everybody in chapter 24, verses 1 through 13. They're all flawed in some kind of way, but yet God still used them. I think oftentimes we are not actively serving the Lord because we look at ourselves and say, well, I've got, I'm struggling with this, I'm struggling with that. And and God says, bring that to me with a willing heart to say, here am I, send me and watch what God does. And in amongst a group of flawed individuals who are willing to say, in my weaknesses, I'm made strong. Lord, I, I can't do all of these things. But be reminded, it was God who took Abraham. It was God who gave Isaac. It was God who gave Jacob and Esau. It was God who plagued the Egyptians. It was God who gave them the promised land. It was God who destroyed their enemies. It was God who delivered them out of their hands. It was God who sent uh, the hornet before them. It was God who gave them that, that, that beautiful promise of land that they inherited. And rest in God Almighty and who he is. So he tells them, he reminds them of all that God has done, and then he brings them to this point of decision. And he says in verse 14, now therefore fear the Lord, who I just talked about, not these false gods that get sick, not these false gods that uh, your forefathers used to serve or those in the culture around you are serving, but the true and the living God. Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. So we see the sovereignty that God is in control, but we also see the sincerity that those that call themselves to be followers of his, we are to live a life consecrated to God. 
set apart. We're to live a life of holiness. For he is holy, we are to be holy. We are to live a life separated from the world around us. That is what Joshua is calling them to. He says, listen, think about what all God has done. But he didn't bring you this far just so you could act like the world at this point. He's got something far greater for you than that. And you got to choose for yourself this day. Who are you going to serve? What gods are you going to serve? Listen, we were created to worship. We all worship something. Either the true and living God or some false God that we've created to be the God of our life. When, when God said be fruitful and multiply, it wasn't just that he wanted a, a, a bunch of children on the earth. He, he wanted a bunch of people on the earth. That's part of it. But what he wanted was a bunch of worshipers on the earth that were giving him praise and giving him glory. We were created to worship. Who do you worship? What do you worship this morning? And not the Sunday school answer. Truly allow the Holy Spirit to, to peel back. The religion of our lives. And who do we really worship? Whatever our times, talents, and treasures really go to. Who sits upon the throne of our lives? He says, listen, you need to fear the Lord and, and you need to, to serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. That word serve comes up time and time again in verses 14 uh, through 27. Time and time again, serve, serve, serve. There's an expectation of God's people to serve God Almighty. Not, not to sit and soak, but to, to serve him. And we're to do that in sincerity. A grateful heart is a strong defense against the devil's temptations. When we understand what God has done for us, when we understand what Jesus has done for us, and we are grateful, we are reminded of how he's taken us out of darkness into his marvelous light, that is a strong defense against the devil's temptations. In 1 Samuel 8, if you remember, um, not long after these events will, will, will take place through the, the book of Judges, uh, they get to a point where God's people says, listen, uh, we want a king like everybody else. And in 1 Samuel 8, uh, Samuel comes and at the instruction of God who says, listen, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. Six times he says, that this king that you set over you is going to take from you. He's going to take and take and take and take. What, what have the idols of your life taken from you? Time with your children? Peace and joy? Taking your marriage from you? Taking your health from you? God says, you put anybody on the throne of your heart other than Jesus Christ, he's going to take from you. Take and take and take. That's not to say that Jesus doesn't take. Jesus took the cat and eye tails on his back. Jesus took the mockery and the spit on his face. Jesus took the shame of being nailed to a, a, a cross naked. Jesus took the, the nails in his hands and he took the nails in his feet and he took the sin of the world upon himself. He took your punishment upon himself. But where our false idols take from us and only give us heartache and grief, Jesus takes for us and gives us peace and joy and hope and love. And so Joshua calls the people here in this setting, 
where Abraham once stood and was given a promise by God that they would inherit the land that they are inheriting at that time and that Jacob brought false gods amongst his family and buried at this tree. And he calls them and he says, destroy the idols in your life. Listen, you want peace this Christmas season? You've got to destroy the idols that are in your life. Put them away. Give them over to the Lord. Psalm 115, verse 5 through 8 tells us that these idols, they have, they have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk, and they do not make a sound in their throat. These who make them become like them, so do all who trust in them. Do you notice that? We become like our idol. We become like that which we are worshiping. And he says these idols are dead. Religion is dead. These things that we build our lives upon that aren't Jesus, they're dead. So we become like what we worship. So, but Jesus is alive. Jesus brings us peace and joy and love and hope. Worship him. Put away these idols. Destroy the idols in your life. Joshua is saying, think about this. Why would you worship these false gods of a defeated army when the one and true and living God is the one who defeated them? Worship the living God. Isaiah 46, 7 through 10 extends this. They lift it to their shoulders, talking about these idols. They carry it. They set it in its places, and it stands there. It cannot move from its place. If one cries to it, it does not answer or save him from his trouble. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from the ancient times. Things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose because my plan does not fail. So these idols that we worship, they provide us nothing. I look at my life. There are so many years of worshiping these false idols that the world told me was going to bring me peace only to find more anxiety, more worry, more fear. It is at the foot of the cross. It is in the loving arms of Jesus that we find peace because all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ. And if his plan of redemption brings us hope, then the promises that are found in the Redeemer, they bring us peace because it's not a place that we arrive at or a position that we obtain to that will bring us peace, but it is a person that we trust in. Is your trust in Jesus And if it is, then serve him in sincerity and faithfulness and put away the false idols and serve Christ and serve him alone. Listen, there are so many places within the life of this church that you can serve. Don't just come and and sit. You're missing out on so much of what God wants to do in your life. Places to serve here in this church on Sundays, on Wednesday nights, on Sundays nights, throughout the week, in our community around us. God wants you to be servants because Jesus was a servant. It was he who did not come to be served but to serve. And we look most like Jesus when we don the servant's towel and we're washing the feet of those that are around us. 
Can I just encourage you this holiday season? See people. Stop and talk to people. Me and my wife were, were, were out at a store this week and encountered a gentleman. He was, he was checking us out. And we were sitting there interacting with him. And it wasn't an in-depth, deep spiritual conversation by any means. Just wanted to share with this young man that, that Jesus loves him. Wanted to show that. Wanted to just share just my heart with, with, with him. Later that day, I got an email. And this young man just confided that he'd lost both of his parents recently. Struggling in addiction. We have no idea what people are going through. And we have no idea the impact we can make by just stopping and seeing people and interacting with them. Just encouraging them, giving them a word of kindness. We are called to, to serve our Lord and Savior. But there's something very interesting that's said because he says, listen, for me and my house, we're, we're going to serve the Lord, right? And, and Hobby, Hobby Lobby has been making money ever since. <laughs> As for me and my house, we're, we're going to serve the Lord. You need to determine in your heart today that me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. And it goes... They said, well, we're going to serve the Lord too. And he said something very strange. In verse 19, Joshua said to the people, you're not able to serve the Lord. For he is a holy God. He's a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins if you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods. Now, wait a second. He just said, serve the Lord. And then they said, okay, we're going to do it. He said, no, nah, you can't do it. What in the world was it? Because what he wants us to, to understand is that we need to devote our life to God and his mission, that we need to dedicate our whole hearts to him. 1 Samuel 7, 3 says, And Samuel said to all the house of Israel, If you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the Ashtoreth from among you and direct your hearts to the Lord and serve him only. Verse 23 of chapter 24 tells us to incline our hearts, to direct our hearts, to devote our lives to God, but that we have to understand we must depend on God alone in order to do this. We must depend on God alone in order to, to, to do this. You, 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 you have to. You, what he's telling them is, listen, you can't do this in your own power and your own strength. You, you must depend on, on God alone. And that's a word for, for each and every one of us. Lastly, we see the security of God, that God is my confidence. Notice how this chapter ends. Joshua recounts everything that God has done for them, says to serve him in sincerity and faithfulness, to serve him completely, to put away all of these idols and these false gods. But, but notice how it ends. It ends with, with, with three funerals. Starting in verse 29, it says, And after these things, Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died being 110 years old. And they buried him in his own inheritance at Timonath Sarah, which is in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gaash. 
Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua and had known all the work that the Lord did for Israel. As for the bones of Joseph, which the people of Israel brought up from Egypt, they buried them at Shechem in the piece of land that Jacob bought from the sons of Hamar, the father of Shechem, for a hundred pieces of money. It became an inheritance of the descendants of Joseph. And Eleazar, the son of Aaron, died, and they buried him at Gibeah, the town of Phinehas, his son, which had been given him in the hill country of Ephraim. God had promised that those that were underneath, he promised to Caleb and Joshua, and he promised those that were underneath the age of 20, when the Israelites sinned, that they would go into the promised land and they would have rest. And we see that in Eleazar, and we see that in Joshua. Joshua's life started in Egyptian captivity, and it ends with a worship service in the promised land. Isn't that a picture of the gospel? We begin our lives in captivity, in spiritual captivity, but through faith in Jesus Christ, it ends in a worship service in the promised land of heaven, where every tongue, tribe, and nation is surrounded, the throne of God Almighty, worshiping and praising. And Joseph, who God had said, listen, your bones will, will be bared. He knew. He told his, his children, listen, when, when you go back to the land that was promised our forefathers, take my bones with you and bury me there. The trust that he had to buy a, par- a burial plot that he trusted in would be taken. He would be taken to the security. God is my confidence. What is your confidence today? Mine are the promises of God Almighty. As often as I wrestle with those, as often as I forget those, listen, my confidence is in the promises of God. To the point that we can say, like the author of Hebrews in Hebrews 13, 6, so we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Think about this. You've got, in these three barrels, you've got a powerhouse of leadership, You've got a patriarch and you've got a priest. But we can't depend on any of them. They all died. Here, an individual who would have the, the, the greatest leadership podcast going right now, Joshua. You'd, you'd be listening to Joshua. I mean, you'd have that top end of the year. Joshua, leadership, man, he's the first one that's going to pop up. You've got this powerhouse of leadership. Dead. He has no ability to conquer the grave. Dead. You have this patriarch who saw God face to face, had God speak to him. Dead. This priest who kept all the laws as best as he possibly could, represented humanity to God Almighty, would go into his presence once a year. Dead. My confidence isn't in the best uh, and most equipped leader. My confidence isn't in somebody who has the deepest pedigree or the greatest religious uh, 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 prowess. My my confidence is in God because he has given me the security that only comes through faith in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's why 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance. Notice what Joshua says. And they all went back to their inheritance. After he concludes his covenant renewal and says, put away your false thoughts, he says, now now go to your inheritance. Well, listen, we have a greater inheritance than a patch of land. 
Our inheritance is eternal life. Our inheritance is a restored relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Listen, the promises of God are secured by the power of the Father. He guards them. He holds them. The promises of God are secured by the power of the Father. The promises of God are signed by the blood of the Son. The promises of of God are, are, are signed by the blood of the Son. Our inheritance has been given and secured for us by the sacrificial work of Jesus Christ. The promises of God are sealed by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Imperishable, undefiled, kept in heaven for you. Ephesians 1, 13 through 14 says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. If you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and the promises of God of eternal life, the promises of God to be in his kingdom forever and ever, they're sealed by the Holy Spirit, signed by the blood of Christ, and secured for us by our Heavenly Father. But the author of Hebrews would, would write in Hebrews 4, 8 through 13, For if Joshua had given them rest, true rest, not just a type of rest that foreshadowed the rest that comes in Christ, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. What Joshua did is he called all of them to sincerity and faithfulness to the true and living God. And then he took a stone and he set it up under a tree and said, this stone is a witness. There's a witness for all of us and that is the cornerstone of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God's word peels back and shows the truth of our hearts. He goes on to say in Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, so then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This stone underneath this tree is a reminder of the cornerstone who went to the tree of Calvary to die for your sins and for my sins. Who will you serve? false gods of the past, the false gods of the culture around us today are the true and living God, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Choose for yourself this day.